The Cloudcast is sponsored by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of tens of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, how are you tonight? I'm doing good, doing good. Um, we might set a record for consecutive podcasts together here before too much longer. I know. I know. <laughs> it was funny. We were talking before the show, and, and, and uh, our guest was like, hey, I get, I get the full team tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been uh, it's been fun to actually be able to both be on the podcast together for a change. I mean, we, we did it at first, you know, when we first started this however many years ago, and then we realized scheduling is hard. And then we just went to this model of as long as there was one of us go. Yep. And then even sometimes we just, you know, had other co-hosts and everything. But now the jobs are for both of us kind of getting somewhat to a point where we're both home, but conference season kicks off before too much longer. And yeah, you're, you're, we, we might be together, but it might be a bar in Vegas, or it seems like a lot of conferences are in Vegas this year, or Moscone yet again, or I don't know. Uh, they're, yeah, they're, and they're, they're, they're doing ripping it up. Yeah, ripping it up. So lots of stuff in <laughs> Vegas this year, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your bent. So yeah, yeah so cool. Um, so things are good. Uh, your transition's going well. You're still, uh, you're still, uh, making the transition or everything's good in your new transition? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely a, um, a very interesting, you know, we, we've used this term. So the company, my day job was acquired by, by NetApp and it's been almost a month now. And we've, you've used this term, uh, NetApp speed dating, you know, getting to know all the people at NetApp that you're supposed to know. And so I've been doing speed dating for the last couple of weeks and that's finally come to an end. So now it's actually time to go turn the crank and go get some things done. Yep, yep. Cool. Well, listen, um, you know, last week we, uh, we did a show, we kind of said we got back to our roots and, and, uh, you know, talked about training and learning and all that stuff. And, and I think the other thing in terms of our roots has always said, look, you know, we're, we're not in Silicon Valley. We're out, we're out in Raleigh. Uh, we interact with, you know, we interact with the Valley quite a bit, but we also, you know, come from backgrounds that are, that are a little more diverse. And so we thought tonight was, was going to be fun. Uh, our, our guest today, uh, Keith Townsend, who is a lot of folks will know Keith, as uh, at CTO Advisor on Twitter, runs the CTO Advisor blog and podcast is really uh, is really out there, but also is a senior SAP infrastructure architecture at AvVi. So, Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Um, and you know, sometimes uh, you know, Aaron and I joke that scheduling is always the hardest part of the podcast. Sometimes we do a really good job. We plan way ahead. We'll we'll book three or four shows in advance, and sometimes. Somebody just says something on Twitter and we go, hey, you want to come on the show? And, and that's what would happen this week is, is Keith made a comment about some stuff around DevOps and containers. And we said, you know what? You are really good at, you've got a very pragmatic view of things. You're in Chicago, but you get to interact with sort of people all over the place. You were just out in, in Australia. We'll talk about that. But we thought, you know what? Let's, let's get back to a little bit of pragmatism. You know, the market, people are worried about the market maybe getting a little soft and let, you know, so let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the new stuff, but also talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the realities of, of, you know, large companies and how fast they can do stuff that aren't in Silicon Valley. So first off, welcome to the show. Um, you are a very well-known podcaster and, and out in the community, but it's first time on the show for you. So welcome aboard. Appreciate you guys having me on. 
So, so first off, you know, just, just as a background for anybody that, that doesn't know you, um, you know, talk a little bit about your background, some of the things you do in, in the broader communities and, and then, you know, a little bit about, you know, you recently moved from, from being a consultant at a very large, you know, consulting firm to, you know, being back on the sort of quote unquote customer side, you're an IT practitioner again. So, so give folks a little bit of your background cause it's, it's very rich and, and, uh, we're gonna have some good discussions tonight. So I spent most of my career uh, on the customer side here in Chicago uh, up until maybe about 2009, 2010, when the overall market changed for a lot of us quite a bit. Uh, Very typical uh, director of IT, um, network operations manager, very typical customer side career. And then the big recession hit us and I needed to find the company folded and I need to find a new job. So I went out East Coast to Lockheed Martin, uh, worked in their IT services group for quite some time, an extremely enlightening uh, career uh, or an extremely enlightening job. I got to learn proper engineering. I thought I was an engineer at that point, but no. Uh, When you do an RCA and you do it the same way that they go about doing an RCA when a shuttle tanker explodes, that helps you really understand engineering and the engineering process. Really enjoyed that experience. Uh, got a little homesick, and the wife wanted to move back to Chicago. So I took a job, you mentioned, with PwC, one of the big four consultants consultancies out there. Uh, they were looking to ramp up their IT practice, specifically the data center practice. So I joined that data center practice. Got a chance to look at IT from a completely different lens uh, before, you know, it was a lot of, even at Lockheed, when I was the enterprise architect for the the Department of Housing, Urban and, what is it, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, I got a chance to look at a lot of great technologies while I was there, but this is uh, PwC get uh, me in kind of the boardroom and looking at problems from the business side, you know, do we outsource IT versus bring it in, you know, we've gotten breached and many one of our customers had gotten breached. How do we uh, reassure the markets and um, bring back some credibility to those organizations? And the last customer I worked with at V, you know, we're splitting a, a Fortune 50 company is splitting into two basically Fortune 50 companies similar to what HPE did. Uh, how do you do that in two years? So I spent a year on that project, and then I came along uh, as a uh, full-time employee for them a couple of months after I left PwC. Wow, fantastic. Now, let me ask you a little bit about your views. So you you stay very up-to-date on pretty much all the modern technologies, and it's very evident through all of your different social outlets. Um, but yet, like you mentioned, you, you also work large enterprise uh, in, in the Midwest, and Brian and I have these conversations on a very regular basis of, of just how different, you know, for instance, the Raleigh landscape is or, or the, you know, the Carolinas landscape is from, say, the, the Bay Area echo chamber. Um, and, and so what is your view of, of kind of the world? You've talked to a lot of customers and, and kind of give us a little bit of perspective on what has been your take that you've seen. You know what? People are pretty unique outside of the value. I don't know if the people in the value are pretty unique. That, I think that's a better take on it. Because when, if you're on Twitter a lot or if you're reading blogs, 
you think, you know what, everyone's doing cloud native. Uh, you guys are doing a great job on this show and helping us kick, stay up to speed on like network overlays, containers, Docker, uh, data center orchestration. All that stuff is great. And for the 5% of the need that's out there, there has to be an outlet for that. But for the rest of the world, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to bring up VMs faster. So it's quite a different pace. While we have, and this is, I'm not talking generically about AdV, I'm talking about most of the customers that I've dealt with, other Fortune 500s. You know, very simple problems. You know, we, we think about how are we going to monitor containers. Is a show you guys had on with like Datadog over almost a year ago. The basic question of how do we pat, do patch management for HPUX is still a predominant question in the traditional enterprise. So, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite a different uh, scene from what we get portrayed and what's going on in the Valley. Yeah, so it's it's always interesting. I, you know, I know Aaron and I, you know, get get a chance sometimes to talk to to analysts and financial analysts and, and different people, and and a lot of times they're they're sort of asking the question, you know, and, and sometimes you know in technology we have this tendency to make everything binary. We want to sort of know winners and losers and which what kills what. And uh, you know, I spent a, a few days this week, you know, talking to some certain analysts and and. You know, they would ask questions literally like, you know, is, is everything going to go to AWS? You know, is it, is it just them and everybody else sort of falls and falters? And, and it, it is weird. It's, it's, it's weird to see that mentality, especially when you, you know, you put certain things in context, right? You've got something like Docker, which we have no idea if they're making any revenue. They might be, but they're, they're private. They don't announce numbers. You know, Amazon is, is growing at an incredible race, but they're, you know, they're still an $8 billion company. And you think about, you know, that in the context of how big is Microsoft, how big is Oracle, how big is SAP, how big is, you know, a dozen other companies or, you know, more than that. And, you know, sometimes you have to put some of these things in context. You're right. Twitter, Twitter tends to be a very loud megaphone for, you know, a very small percentage of the IT industry. Yeah, I think to put things in perspective, I gave a OpenStack brown bag maybe about maybe about a year ago. And of a group of potentially 20 engineers, 10% showed up. So two people to an OpenStack brown bag. Like, you know, what is introduction to OpenStack? What is OpenStack? A few months later, I did a cloud native brown bag, almost a full room. And it speaks, I think, to the pain points of the enterprise in general. You know, we mentioned AWS and containers and orchestration and cloud native, and what I'm finding, and it's not just my experience at Avi, but customers as well, you know. And the enterprise moves slow in one aspect, but a lot of the pain points still exist that we've always fought. One, you know, database licensing. How do we reduce the Oracle bill? Two, we're being asked by the business to do things faster. What I find interesting, though, is, you know, we talk a lot about cloud native, what the ask from a lot of the businesses that I've talked to is not how do I program, how do I make scale out cloud native applications, but how do I get pets faster? You know, I, I want a VM and I want it fast. I want it, you know, in, in within 30 minutes, 30 minutes in an hour, I'm going to use it. And then I'm going to try and treat it like a, uh, like cattle and throw it away. But basically I want the, the cattle, uh, I want the cattle speed, 
but the pet mentality. So it's it's <laughs> it's an interesting mix between what the what reality is and kind of what we when we talk to analysts and when we talk to the market vendors, what they're pushing versus what uh, the enterprise is consuming. Yeah, and it's it's almost as if. You know, it's a lot of times people almost talk down. The the enterprise is slow. The enterprise doesn't see this. The enterprise is this. The enterprise is that. But but I've always seen it as um, the enterprise knows they have a problem. They're just slow to fix it. <laughs> They're just they they seem to be very tolerant to pain at times. Um, and it is a little bit of of inertia, without a doubt. With that, you know, and a lot of this stuff is just flat hard. You know, I mentioned that. Well, actually, I didn't in, in the right before we started recording. I mentioned that at V is a former subsidiary of Abbott Labs. We split off from Abbott, so you know, let's talk about speed. The combined, the company was over a hundred billion dollar company. We're splitting into two fifty billion dollar companies, roughly. Simple math. At V quickly uh, made an acquisition. Now they're an eighty five billion dollar company. In two years' time period, you have to stand up. You split IT teams. AbbV has to stand up a completely new enterprise organization, stay competitive in a market, in a very competitive uh, market where we are looking at the landscape of our blockbuster drug coming off of a patent. We need to uh, stay ahead of the curve from a product perspective. And also, not just IT, but the rest of the organization has to split and keep moving forward. They successfully did that in two years. So while we talk about how slow the enterprise is in like adopting new technologies, when the when the when you know when the rubber hits the road and the business is at risk or there's business opportunity, the enterprise can move as fast as it needs to move, just not in areas of technology that we that we would like sometimes. Right. Right. Well, and, and I think the the realities of it is. Um, you know, there's a lot of people talking about, uh, you know, Netflix and, and it took seven years. You wrote a nice piece up about, uh, you know, what, what it means in terms of, you know, if, if one of the companies who's the poster child of being sort of the new way of doing it, it took them that long. But, you know, I, I think like I saw the same thing at, at the DevOps Enterprise Summit, which is Gene Kim's event, which is kind of it's in the valley. It's talking about new cool stuff, but the companies are you know, the, the fortune 100, it's target and, and Macy's and Nordstrom's and, uh, you know, nationwide insurance and, you know, companies that you're like, Oh yeah, that that's, that's what I would consider sort of, you know, big enterprise companies. So I, I think you're right. I think we all sort of have to reset ourselves in terms of, you know, if there's a business imperative to go really fast, but, but just in, in terms of, you know, generally having to go fast, Sometimes it may be a company-wide thing, and sometimes it just may not be that big of a priority to go fast in some new cloud-native thing or Docker thing or container thing or whatever it is. So, um, but let's let's do this. So, you know, part of the reason we had you on today was you were you were kind of you were kind of riffing, and you you you, you kind of threw out a tweet, and you said, "Hey, uh, you know, I've been looking at VMware, I've been looking at containers, I've been looking at DevOps and stuff," and you know, you kind of said, "You know, I I'm trying to figure out who." Who's going to run it? Who's going to pay for it? Um, you know, and and you know, do some of the incumbent companies like a VMware maybe have a better shot at being successful there than than maybe the Clouderati wants to give them credit for? What what were some of your thoughts as you were as you were sending out that tweet and some of the things you've been thinking about in that space? So you know, we've talked about how slow the enterprise is to adopt certain technologies, what the priorities are. You know, 
big Oracle applications, SAP, you know, I'm an SAP architect. This is where the big money applications are, but there's opportunities in the small pockets. Mm-hmm. So the ability for to bring in a small team, have them create a uh, a strategic cloud native application and change. I think there's true value in that in large organizations where you can bring in tiger teams to create applications, move them to operations, and, and move them forward. I think where VMware has a great opportunity is this operations model. You guys have talked about it on the podcast, this day two. After we've built the application, how do we manage it? Enterprises are slow when it comes to operational change. How do we operate these applications? And when you look at the VMware kind of cloud native and, and container story, it appeals. You know, are you putting a wrapper around vSphere Putting a container wrapper interface in front of vSphere, the workloads from an infrastructure pers- perspective look exactly as I as they look today. I manage it as I do today, but I give these cloud native developers the interface that they need, as opposed to you know bringing in Kubernetes and and uh, you know Docker, Doc, uh, Swarm from Docker and and building up a whole new discipline practice for 5% of the applications, I think VMware has an argument on, on why, why choose the VMware path. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's sort of to a certain extent, and for anybody that, that you know, doesn't know this space, I know we, we had Kit Colbert on from VMware a little while ago. It was a short show at, at DockerCon. Um, you know, the, the VMware sort of has two offerings. Obviously, everyone knows VMware from a, a virtualization perspective, you know, create VMs, uh, highly available, all that sort of stuff. And they sort of have two offerings. One of them is um, sort of the native, you know, VMware offering that uh, has some initial integration with uh, a container OS and, uh, you know, and, and Docker, and they call it VMware integrated, uh, integrated containers. And, you know, as I think about it, you made the comment before, like, you know, the enterprise sort of wants... Uh, you know, pets in terms of, you know, they want to spin up the thing they know, they want to do pets faster, you know, spin them up in 30 minutes or five minutes or whatever. Um, but they, you know, they, they'd sort of like the mindset of, of cattle in terms of, Hey, you know, if I can throw it away, throw it away. And it, and it feels a little bit, and I think this is where you're going is, you know, from a, from a large enterprise perspective that has a VMware footprint, has an operations team and a tooling set that's around VMware. It sort of fits that model that you're talking about where it is some, blend of you know it's it's pets in terms of operationally but it's sort of cattle in terms of speed and and if the development team you know want to throw containers on top of it well they don't know any different right you just you're just giving it to them uh you're just giving them you know resources to put it on and well that's and where you're going with that yeah and, and let me throw actually another wrinkle into the mix too it 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 also could be more than just especially in enter- enterprise space more than just hey this is um Technology based, it could be comfort level of the vendor based. You know, at, at the end of the day, let, let's let's face facts. VMware is going to be in most enterprise accounts. It's it's going to be a name that is known, um, hopefully well liked and trusted, but at least known. Um, versus some of these other technologies, right? And again, it goes back to the slow to change, slow to adopt uh, topics you were talking about early. Sometimes it, it it may come down to simply confidence level too. Don't you think? I think enterprise customers trust the vendors that take them out to dinner that 
And it's not just, you know, we make fun about, you know, golden golf clubs, you know, as I've risen up in my career. I've yelled at a lot of vendors. You know, I've gotten, the phone, I've gotten on the phone and chewed out a lot of folks. But with that chewing out comes a level of trust. Because, you know, that next deal, they know that if they sell me something that doesn't pan out, we're going to have a very, very difficult conversation afterwards. And I think we discredit that level of trust in the enterprise when it comes to our traditional enterprise vendors. We, the, there's, you know, the new and the fresh. You know, the folks at Pure gave me or giving me a, pro, a presentation on all the cool stuff they're doing with HANA. And, you know, I have to tell you, the first thing that I'm fighting, the first ideal that I'm fighting that comes to my head was like, man, but I've these other guys, when when it went down, you know, when SAP went down and I needed to get folks on the phone and get it back up and running, they were there. And I can and I can find 100 people in my market that can support it. Yeah. And and you could you know you could almost play a bunch of what if ga- what if games uh, based off of just that that theory right okay what if Docker was bought by I don't know somebody let's say Microsoft right any of the big you know shops right Docker was bought by VMware would they be more trusted in the enterprise because it's a Microsoft product or it is a VMware product versus it being a Docker product. You know, look at what EMC did with data domain. It's, it's, you know, it's that type of, it becomes that type of relationship. You, when, you know, Aaron, you guys just got acquired by NetApp. That's, that changes the conversation for a lot of customers. Agreed. Absolutely. Now, let's switch, switch gears for a second. We're, we're also seeing a trend. We're talking about trends here. What, you're seeing a trend in in overlay technologies in the market, right? Where where you know containers, whether it's SDN, with, you know security. We had a Lumio on here recently. Um, how do you see those working in today's kind of siloed IT environments? Right. We Brian and I have had long discussions at times over you know when it's the, these uh, overlay technologies or, or these you know uh, moving up the stack, if you will. Well. That works great and looks great in, you know, on PowerPoint slides or looks great in demos, but sometimes it breaks down simple as like, hey, what department is going to pay for it? (laughs) I've had this uh, comment about Docker for a long time. You know, I went to I went to uh, VMware, well, not VMware, I went to the VMUGs in Australia, both uh, Melbourne and Melbourne and Sydney. Sydney one. And at both, about 300 people each. And that region of the world has adopted virtualization probably better than anyone else. And at each, I asked who has containers in, in production at the keynotes. No one raised their hands. And I think that's a indication. But if you talk to them one-on-one, they'll tell you that developers are most definitely using Docker and containers in development, but it is not making its way to production. And I think one of the siloed uh, issues that we reach to is when developers are using it on their laptops is free support is the community when you look to move it to production that really changes the conversation and it becomes who's going to pay for it you know we talk about inter, inter, infrastructure type stuff who plays for the core switches in the enterprise who pays for support for os clustering even though the app teams you leverage and depend on os clustering in a in a very capable core data center uh 
network, they don't bear any of that cost. And I think that's a huge barrier for uh, overlay technologies that are pushed from the development team into the, um, into the operating silo. Now, on the flip side, when you talk about network virtualization, I think from a silo perspective, everybody wants it. And paying for it is not as big of a deal. What be, because, you know, you, it, VMware did, it has great, did a great job at positioning NSX as, let's say, as a firewall replacement. That if you're doing a major firewall replace, uh, refresh, then the network team can pick up that uh, cost within their budget. Or if you're doing a cloud-native project, the uh, server team can pick up. So that plays nicely with silos. What doesn't play nicely is when you go to implement it and the questions around control, uh, I think, are bigger issues for the network overlay. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that that Aaron and I find. We we, we end up talking to a lot of these these startups or we'll talk to people at events that, that... you know, there was a, there was an interesting there's an interesting podcast the um, the A16Z. So it's uh, uh, Andreessen Horowitz's company does a podcast. Good good show for anybody who wants to sort of get up above the technology. Uh, but they were talking to Martin Casado, who had just you know was the you know founder of Nasira, just recently left, went over there, and and he was talking about it, and he was saying you know um, it's the infrastructure pieces is, is interesting. You're kind of you're now touching developers with it because it is this software-based stuff. It interacts with things through APIs, um, you know. And he was trying to kind of make this point about, well, you know, you've got to have an open-source component of it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he still couldn't, you know, even just talking to a bunch of VCs who want to know about how you're going to make money, kind of couldn't lay out how you're going to make money in these models where developers are somehow going to start paying for stuff when they don't have budget or you're building a product that starts with open source and you're going to try and kind of go open core and commercialize it. And, um, you know, I think more than anything, when we talk to a lot of those, the people that are in that domain, they don't lack for cool technology, but I don't think they have a complete grasp on, you know, how hard it is to get to people that, that have to buy stuff, right? It's not that they don't have a problem, but you still got to get to the groups that have budget. Um, and a lot of times those end up being, the operations teams, even though the, the product is quote unquote sort of a developer focused kind of product, and I think Docker sort of fits right into that domain. Is it it rides the fence between is it a, is a developer product, is it a, an infrastructure product? You know, it kind of blurs those lines, which you know I, I think for is is why you brought up the question. It makes it sort of tricky to go like, well, who would buy it, and then who would support it? And those may be the same thing; they may be different things. Yeah, I forget the former uh, VMware CTO that went over to uh, VC, but he did a great job at VMworld talking about that very issue of when he's looking at infrastructure technologies to invest in. Yep. He ultimately asked the question, you know, who's going to buy this? Who's yeah, going to pay the bill? Steve Harrod. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was Harrod. He did yep. an awesome job. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So. So let me let me ask this, Keith. So um, you know, you go by the handle CTO advisor. Um, obviously, you in a previous job and and in your current job, you know, you're talking to CIOs as well. You know, let let's say you're in that role, and um, you know, you're you're in an industry that's um, you know going through a certain amount of change. So you know, for example, you're in the automotive industry. You know things like Tesla and Uber and the you know car automation is kind of you know front and center for you. You're in I don't know the hotel industry, things like Airbnb. You know, so so let's say you're you're 
you're sort of in that, you're that top dog. You're in an industry that, that feels like it's got some competitive pressure from some of these companies. Like what's, what, how are you thinking about it at that level in terms of, you know, people process some of the technology? What's, you know, what's the guidance you hear or what do you, what kind of guidance do you give to people at, at that level when you're thinking about, you know, how do you keep up with this stuff and how do you make it, you know, relevant to your company? You know what, CIOs have a tough enough job when they're just trying to manage risk. So it's not, when you, when you talk about innovation, that's not, you know, one of their core competencies. And honestly, my advice to CIOs is to go out and talk to a Brian Gracely, a Aaron Delp, a Keith Towns, and a Ken Hoy. Hire one of these guys, pay them as much as you can pay them, and get, put them on cool projects and, and let them understand and learn your business and let them just sit down and think. These are really, really, really tough problems as we talk about, you know, Gardner which is the bimodal or whatever they call it, model mm-hmm. in IT. I, I don't think that that's really going to work in the, in, la, in the large enterprise. Uh, for most large enterprises, I think some do it well. You know, Target maybe might be an example. But I think for the average enterprise, you can't turn over your entire staff overnight. Uh, finding developers that can build cloud-native applications are hard. Finding partners that can build them are hard. It's hard. You need someone who, who's vested, not just a consultant. You need someone who understands the business. Uh, and that's a thinker who can, you know, think about thought leadership and influencers who's meeting with the Valley, meeting with other co- uh, companies, understanding what they're practically doing and bringing back those lessons learned internally and being a uh, uh, Greg Farrell over at the, the Packet Pushers likes to use the term force factor becoming a change agent internally to help gradually change the culture and bring some of these ideals in. You really need to throw one of the things I appreciated with working at PwC is that they could throw 90 really smart people in a room and solve a problem that was a parallel problem. This is a problem that you need to really throw, I think, smart people at, give them latitude to not necessarily, you know, a set, day-to-day job just you know what learn the business go out look at see what's in the market come back bring that smart stuff back and help us become walmart yeah no, and, I, and i think that's a good point i think it it um you know I, I had a chance to talk to um you know amy and john and matt over at, at geek whispers and and we talked about this idea of you know you sort of have to have this idea of, of pioneers sometimes that are just going out and, and finding what's out there and and then you you know, you also, you can't just have sort of these renegade people. You've got to have kind of established way to then get it back and, and make it mainstream, make it owned in your business, make it part of your DNA. And, you know, whether you call that a settler or a town planner, like you, you kind of have to think about it as, you know, it's not like they said, bimodal it's, it's gotta be sort of this continuum and, and they're, they're different people who fit those kind of jobs. I mean, there's different people who like, the risk. There's different people who like the uncertainty and there's others that are really good at, you know, at getting it into the system and, and getting it scaled and, and getting it into the DNA of companies. So no, I think that's, I think that's really, really good advice. Um, let me, let me ask you one last question just to sort of wrap this up. Like, uh, 
one of the other questions we get all the time, um, you know, kind of back channel and off the record and stuff is what, what becomes the role of, of systems integrators, especially as things like cloud start to come along, you know, where things are, you know, off premises or, uh, you know, sort of agile development or DevOps, you know, where it's not just change control. It's kind of more frequent change. Like what's, what becomes the role of those, those big, uh, SIs or even, even smaller types of SIs. You know, one of the things that I look for in the SI today is someone who understands my business. Mm-hmm. You know, techno- technologists, for the most part, I was surprised. I was talking to a systems integrator yesterday, and he was one of the guys who listens closely to the community. He knew who I was. He knows you guys. He knows he was actually a uh, V-specialist at EMC one time. So he's very close to the community. So you can find those really smart technical guys. I think SIs really need to understand the business, specifically your business and the risk profile of your company and add that additional, you know, we all talk about moving higher up the stack. The ability to spin up uh, Amazon EC2 image using JSON is a skill that can be taught. What's more important or valuable is having a systems integrator that understands how to apply those technologies and help with the business change and specifically the business change within IT. I think big fours don't particularly do a good job at understanding the technology deeply and understand the business part of it too much and then want to get too involved in the technology. Sometimes you just need a really great systems integrator that really understands the technology and has a strong basic business acumen, especially for your industry and hopefully your company specifically. No, that's that's great. Absolutely. Um, hey, Keith, we we need to kind of we're getting to that 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 t- that point here. We need to wrap it up a little bit. Um, so, where can everyone find you on on Twitter? In case they didn't get the Twitter handle up front, and and the podcast and the blog and everything else. So uh, you can find me at CTO Advisor on Twitter, and the blog is I uh, couldn't get the C, um, ctoadvisor.com so it's a the in front of it www.thectoadvisor.com fantastic right. all, all the all the best podcasts have a the in front of them so we uh, exactly. we we endorse that <laughs> <laughs> well listen man this is this has been great I, we you know we we talked to Aaron and I we were talking we've 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 never met you in person but we feel like we know you pretty well cuz we're you know we we talk to you all the time on on the uh, on Twitter and other stuff and and folks if you're not following Keith um a really good, uh, you know, I always sort of call it pragmatic, maybe not the right word, but just you do a really good job of, of your vendor neutral, although you, you know, you know, the vendor stuff really well. Um, you know, you're, you're living with sort of the real pace of change. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of out there as a thought leader. You're not afraid to poke people. So a lot of real, I mean, you, you create a lot of good stuff. And the thing I like about it is sometimes it's written, sometimes it's video, sometimes it's podcast, like it's, it's in very consumable format. So that, that part is, is very cool. And, and uh, we hope you keep it up because it's, it's always really good insight. I really enjoy it. I really appreciate the feedback. Yeah. So, well, folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up uh, for Keith and for Aaron. As always, everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, if you like the show, if you have any feedback, always send us the feedback. And, and we love it when you tell a friend about what we're doing because we like growing the show and, uh, and getting you new stuff out there. So for everybody, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 